Amen. Thank you, Russ. Thank you for the reminder that indeed we are not alone. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Today we're concluding our teaching series, Together. The series is actually called Together. We're talking about the gospel in our relationships. The first three sermons in this particular series were a call to unity. That's where we began a few weeks ago. Pondering what it means to have unity. And then we talked about a call to diversity. In maintaining our unity, while we're very unique with very different gifts and different people, call to unity, call to diversity. And then we considered two weeks ago the call to purity, what it means to have Christ-like character and have purity in our relationships. And today we conclude the series with part two on the call to purity as we finish Ephesians chapter four. You know, it's very easy to come to worship gathering on a Friday morning and you put on your nice clothes and you fix your hair and you, you put on your perfume and you look good and, and everyone sees you smiling and it's easy to, to do that on a Friday morning and yet on the inside really be struggling. And I don't pretend to know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening inside of your soul on this Friday morning. I don't know if you have something that you're afraid of or something that is a major burden to you. No matter how painful or how scary or how frustrating life may be or one area of life may be for you right now, there is something that you absolutely have to know for certain. And I say it not in any authority that I have, but on the authority of God's word. You must know that God has a plan. With all of your heart, you must know and you must believe that God indeed has a plan in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through. And he has a plan for overall in his creation and redemptive purposes, but within that he has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. You see, God has a plan to use you and me, despite ourselves and all of our flaws and our problems. He has a plan to use us by redeeming us to display his beauty and wisdom and glory to his creation. That's what God is about, is displaying his glory. And he uses us with all of our problems. You wonder, well, why? Why would God choose to use me to accomplish his plan? He loves you. God loves you. He cares for you. God delights in you. He enjoys you. He finds pleasure in you. Sometimes I think we forget God really likes you. He really does. Sometimes we don't like ourselves. We sit on the mirror and say, oh, I don't like what I see. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, we're like, oh, I just don't want to look in the mirror anymore. And God looks at you and he says, man, I really like you. You're my boy. You're my girl. I made you. You belong to me. I enjoy you. And because God loves you, his care for you moves him to do what is best for you. In every situation, I can assure you that on the authority of God's word that he is doing what is absolutely best for you. Well, what is best for you? 
you're wondering, well, what exactly is best for me? I don't even know what's best for me sometimes. Well, God knows what's best for you, and I can tell you that it's best for you that you have Christ-like character. That is what is best for you and what's best for me. Is If you want to have joy, I'll tell you this. Happiness flows from holiness. If you want to experience joy, you need to be closer to Christ and be conformed to the image of him. And so your happiness is going to flow directly from your holiness. The more that you live a life where you are truly enjoying God, not enjoying what this world has to offer, not enjoying the gifts he gives you, but enjoying him, the more you are enjoying him, living a life of worship for him, the more you're going to reflect his character, his heart, which is holy, as we saw last week. Well, last week, Pastor Cameron was here, two weeks ago, is that his heart is holy and righteous. And the more time that you spend with him and you enjoy and delight in him, the more your heart will be conformed to his. And the more holiness you have, the more you're going to have this incredible joy. And I can assure you this, that it's going to spill over into all of your relationships. And so in this series, talking about together about relationships, the goal is that we, be, it says in Ephesians 4.24, that we have true righteousness and holiness. If you have that, if you're living a life for Christ, enjoying Him, the natural result is that you will have more righteousness and holiness, and that will impact your relationships. See, Ephesians 4, we'll be looking at for this whole month, describes to us what relationships can look like when God's purposes are ruling in our lives. And so that brings us, let's talk about the main idea for this text and for this sermon. The main idea is that the gospel creates unity in our relationships. The gospel creates purity, rather. Well, unity as well, but specifically today. The gospel creates purity in our relationships. See, what the gospel does, what God does through his spirit when we repent and believe in him, is he gives us new hearts, that hunger for purity. And so what we see here is that God's plan is to radically transform our hearts. Not just to make minor modifications, but he wants to radically transform our hearts through the power of this gospel, which then what that does is it will directly impact your relationship with him and with every other person that you interact with on this planet. And we looked at Ephesians 4, 17 through 28 a couple of weeks ago, and the whole section through verse 32, as you conclude chapter 4 in Ephesians, there are seven sinful tendencies that all of us struggle with. There are seven tendencies that all of us have that we can all struggle with that God wants to transform in our heart so that it can give us healthy relationships so that we can then display his glory in our lives individually and collectively. And we saw two weeks ago the first four of these sinful tendencies. We talked about selfish pleasures. And we talked about being deceitful or dishonest. We talked about anger and controlling our anger. We talked about self-interest. And so these are the first four tendencies that all of us tend to have, today we're going to look at the last three. See, we all struggle with these, but God gives us grace. He promises us grace. And as we work through the last three of these sinful tendencies, 
Remember the context of Ephesians 4. If you haven't been here, then you don't know, and so I'll just fill you in here briefly. Ephesians 4 describes to us that as believers, we have the ability and the calling to live differently. You don't have to live how you used to live before you knew Christ. We actually have been transformed. We have His Spirit living inside of us, creating in His hearts that hunger for purity, hearts that desire Him. So our hearts have been changed from, I have to, which is what religion says, you have to do this, you have to do that. And what God does is radically change our hearts where we want to, we desire to. And so we have the ability, but also we have the calling to pursue that which we have been given the ability to do. So we can and we must live lives of purity for God, for his glory. And so the first section we saw two weeks ago describes the first four. In that same section, it also describes, it says, new self and old self. This is a review for those of you that weren't here. This new self that he's describing in Ephesians 4 is new hearts and a new nature that God gives to us. He changes our hearts and he gives us new desires and new motivations. As a matter of fact, just this week I was talking to some guys who were meeting together and studying God's word. And one of them asked a great question. He said, what happens if you have a person who is trying to be a good person, and as far as you can tell, they're living a life that really looks pretty good. Their marriage is sound. They love their kids. They're, they're, they're looking just fine. Their lives aren't a mess. But they're doing it without God. They never go to church. They don't pray. They deny Jesus. But their life looks great. And then here we are. As believers, and we're trying to pursue Christ, and sometimes my life looks like it's a mess. I'm like, well, so all of us are. And he says, well, how do you explain that? And we talked through that. And the answer is the motivation is totally different. You see, that person that appears to be holy, what you don't know is what happens behind closed doors. That's what you don't know, for one. For two, you don't, you don't know that they actually are holy because you don't know their heart. What is motivating this appearance of holiness? Usually it's self-centered with humanistic goals at its end. Whereas we, who are believers in Christ, are honest. And we say we're broken. We acknowledge that we're broken. And that left to ourselves, we cannot actually be holy. And it's God who does the work of changing our hearts, giving us new motivations, new desires where we truly can live lives that please God. But it's a battle. Because even as believers, it says in the text that there's the old self, who we used to be. We're not in heaven yet. We haven't been glorified yet. Yes, we now have the Holy Spirit. We now have the new self. We have not yet been glorified. And so we still battle with, it says, the old self here in Ephesians 4. The old self, selfish desires, want to be pleased on our own Accord, want to be pleased with what we want versus what it is that God wants. And so we turn to things that this world has to offer us to find joy and comfort and pleasure, and it's rarely pure. But the new self is hungry for purity. And so how do you do it? How do you experience this kind of transformation where your heart is actually changed, where you really do want to obey, and you desire and you're hungry for purity? Well, in Ephesians 4, 23, it tells us 
It says the answer is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That is the key, that the Holy Spirit enables us to be transformed as we actually can think about Jesus throughout the day. We need daily grace. And so we spend time reading God's word and meditating, pondering, contemplating, intentionally thinking about Christ and his gospel, and, and then we live it out. And so we read the word, and we meditate, and we pray, we spend time with God, and what happens is our hearts get more attuned to him, and our heart begins to then reflect his heart so much more as we draw closer to him. And then we have the hope and the encouragement and the internal drive to fight off those selfish tendencies which will directly impact all your relationships, which will make them far more healthy. So let's begin looking at the text specifically for today in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the first of these three sinful tendencies, number one, is struggles with communication. That's the first one. Verse 29 describes how all of us tend to have a sinful struggle with our speech, with our tongue, with our communication. God wants to transform that. Let's read verse 29 again, just the one verse. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for a building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So he says, don't use corrupting talk. Now, the word corrupting actually means rotten, all right? So, been in the fridge far too long, it's bad, it's green and moldy, you know, rotten. That's what he's talking about here. It smells bad. And so, the other day, there were ladies in her house that came, and it was funny because they have, uh, when ladies hang out, they have all these dips and all this food, and they eat like a third of it. It's like, I don't understand, but whatever. So, our fridge was full of all this chick food, right? And... But, but you forget about it. It's just back there in the corner, in the fridge. Well, last week, I was being a good husband, you know, which is not always very often, but I was cleaning out the fridge, and I found this dip that was, I don't know, two weeks old, opened it, and it was like, whoa, I almost fell backwards how bad it smelled. I put it in a trash can and then didn't enter the trash can. I left it in there, and then Bonnie later was like, why don't you take out the trash? And I was like, well, I took it out of the fridge. I just transferred it into the trash can. That's rotten. Smells bad. It's turned. It's not good. We can use our words and we can spread decay. We can spread this rotten odor. Or we can use our words to spread the opposite, which is this pleasant aroma and spread life. So the options are spread death and rotten decay or spread life. And it's our choice in how we choose to use our words. And he says that we're to use words for building up and giving grace. Building up. You know, every one of us is kind of like an elevator. And so elevators have usually two buttons, one that goes up, one that goes down, right? Well, some people 
only have one button, and it only goes down. And every time you hang out with that person, they just kind of bring you down. I don't want to be like that. I want to have only one button that points up. So every single time that I'm around people, that they honestly feel built up, brought up, not torn down. And we basically get to choose which way are we going to tear down or build up. But see, here's the thing. We can sometimes think on, on the sense of being neutral. Well, I'm not hurting anyone, and my words are good and pure. But when it comes to God's word, it doesn't just say have good and pure words. The question for you today is not, are my words being good and pure? The question is, are my good and pure words building up other people and giving grace to those that hear my words? It's not enough to just have good words. They're designed specifically to build up, to give grace to our hearers. But we all struggle with communication. To me, it's kind of interesting talking about communication on a Friday morning. You know why? Because we all do it. All of us talk all day long. Some of us more than others. Some wives think, I wish you would talk more. But we all talk. Every one of us talks a lot. Even those of you that are, quote, quiet people, you still talk all day. You have to because you're a human being and you have people that are around you. And we're made to communicate. I wake up in the morning, and I'm already talking. I say, good morning. Immediately, first thing, eyes open, I'm already talking. And then when I'm going to bed, I'm talking again. Good night. And everything in between, guess what I'm doing? Talking all the time. Even when I'm asleep, my wife tells me I'm talking. I, I talk a lot. I'm sorry. It's, it is what I do. We all do it. But see, here's the thing. A lot of our talking is not helpful. Just think of how many ways we can use, as Paul says, corrupting talk. Just think about it. Gossiping. Lying. Criticizing. Accusing. Swearing. Indecent joking. Slandering. Boasting. Cursing. Misrepresenting. Manipulating. Ridiculing. Blaming, attacking, angry shouting. The list goes on of ways that we use our words that are corrupting talk, that do not build up, but instead they tear down. You know, I've observed in books that I read about communication, even biblical ones, or you hear sermons, and it's almost always the same. I mean, it really is. They're usually talking about communication skills, how to better improve your communication skills. And honestly, I mean, I want to throw up sometimes, like, oh, another book on this same topic. I don't, it, that doesn't usually go deep enough. We need to understand that it's the gospel that changes our hearts because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he says that out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. And so the things that we say when we use speech that's not glorifying to God it goes much deeper than poor communication skills. It has to do with the heart. We have heart problems. And so your words, if they're not edifying, if you have angry outbursts, if you curse, if you struggle with your words, if you gossip or slander, if your words are not glorifying to God, you have to go deeper than communication skills. It has to go to your heart. And only the gospel 
can radically change our words. If you want your words to change, then your heart has to change. You see, God created words. Think about that just for a second. God created words. And it's because of God himself. God gives words meaning, and God gives words significance. Just think for a second. The first human being, Adam, what were the first words he heard? Not from, not from Eve. The first words that Adam heard were from God. God spoke first. We have God who speaks, and he speaks to us. Because our God in heaven desires to be known. He has revealed himself to all of his creation, first and foremost to his prized crown jewel of creation, humanity, the ones that bear his image. God has revealed his existence. He said, I exist. He's spoken to us that he exists. He's spoken to us his truth. He's spoken to us his glory using human words. Words that mere humans in our language can understand. And God's words reveal his nature, his plan, his purpose, and uses words that we comprehend. So God's plan to display his glory through redemption is revealed through words. And words that we understand, words like sun, rock, fortress, shield, Lamb, door, water, bread, shepherd, father. Words that communicate who God is and give us a glimpse, just a glimpse, because we can't truly gaze upon the beauty and glory of God, but we get a glimpse of who he is through the words that he has spoken in our language that grip our hearts and indeed make our hearts to sing. What you have in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and this creator, you have the great speaker. He is speaking the world into existence. But Adam and Eve were different from the rest of creation that he made. How are they different? Well, they bear his image And unlike everything else that exists on the planet, Adam and Eve were like God because they could talk. They could communicate with God. Adam and Eve had the ability to share their thoughts, their emotions, their aspirations, their struggles. They could share everything that's deep inside of them. They had a means to communicate, given by God, reflecting God's glory, reflecting His character, able to speak to each other and speak to God. The ability to communicate is rooted in the very nature and existence of God. And every single word in the Garden of Eden was created so that God's glory could be revealed. Every single word spoken by Adam and Eve as they loved each other, as they spoke about God, as they ran the garden, as they raised their children, as they civilized the world. Everything Adam and Eve were called to do was to speak and reveal God's glory in so doing. 
but there was a problem because a great speaker spoke and created and gave us his privilege of communicating, but then the great deceiver came in, and he also had some words. The great deceiver, Satan, came in to God's good and pure world, and he also spoke, and he was also preaching, but he was preaching lies. He said that God is untrustworthy. He said God had been lying to Adam and Eve. He said that Adam and Eve could be gods unto themselves, that they could find joy apart from God, that they could live independent from God and still have it all. And we can't have it all because we are not God. We are created. And we believe the lie that we can find joy and meaning and significance apart from God. And every day we fall prey, if we're not careful, to the lie that we can find comfort and joy and meaning and escape in things other than God, be independent from Him. And Adam and Eve believed the great deceiver. They believed His words. Adam and Eve doubted God's words, and they believed Satan's words. And so then corruption came into the world. And now our words are corrupted as well. So now when we speak, we have corrupted speech, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. You see, life is a war. Our life truly is a war. The great speaker against the great deceiver are battling. And like every war on this planet, war is about control. Yes, I'm an American. Yes, there's a lot of wars. Americans send tent, seem enjoying starting. I don't fully comprehend that. But the reality is that there is war in this world, and there is a spiritual war that is at hand. And just like human wars, the spiritual war is about control, and it's Satan who wants to control your heart. That's what he wants, to control your heart. He's battling for it. And so we must believe the words of God. But there is hope. There is hope to have our words, and beyond that, if your words are transformed, then that means that your heart has been transformed. And there is hope in the eternal Word of God. The Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, is our hope. His gospel is the only hope to have your heart and then your words and then your relationships transformed. Do you struggle with your words? How do you speak to people, primarily those that are closest to you? How do you speak about people? How do you communicate to people? Do you blame others for your corrupting talk? Do you tend to use words that are quite selfish? Let me ask you this question about this first point on negative communication, on struggling with our communication. How does negative communication affect your relationships? Well, the answer is that you will use your words words that you use, you'll use them to control or to manipulate other people or circumstances to put you in a position of control over the other person. So we tend to use words to control other people to get the end, oftentimes selfishly, that we want. 
And so I've observed in my life and as I counsel people that most corrupting talk, the reason behind it, the heart issue is pride. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. That's what I've, I observed. We, we think too highly of ourselves and our pride is what causes us to want to use words to manipulate and control people or, or situations. And I'm telling you, this affects all of our relationships. So when things aren't going our way, and by the way, even if what you want is a good thing, even if the end that you're trying to achieve is a positive thing, if it's not happening, if what you want is not working out, then we tend to use our words to control to make that end happen. And so oftentimes, our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal that we are not really trusting in God, but we're trying to be Him. Our words a lot of times reveal that we're not trusting in God, we're trying to be God. Let me give you some examples. I want you to picture a father in a difficult situation. He is trying to raise his son in a positive way. He wants a good thing, but, but the son's not responding. The son doesn't want to obey the father. And so the father uses words that are threatening. Like, if it's the last thing I ever do, I'm going to make sure you respect me. Okay, well, what does he want? A good thing, right? Of course, that's not a bad thing. But can that father change his son's heart? No. No. And so he's trying to be God by using his words to threaten and change his son. Only God can do that. Or think of a mother who is stressed out with her children. And, and the daughter is off at the university and she's not doing well and she's, she's not really paying attention to her studies and she's struggling in school. And the mother talks to her young lady daughter and says, think of all of our hard work. Think of all the money we've invested in you. Is this all the thanks that we get? And so the mother here is trying to use guilt to control her daughter and get her to get back into shape when, quite honestly, the best response might be, well, then you're done in school. If you're not going to go to school, you're not going to pass, then you don't go to school. But to have this problem of trying to guilt and to change a young woman is just not going to happen. You can try to guilt people into it, but it's not going to be a lasting change. Only God can change the heart. Or think of a father that has an 18-year-old son, maybe, who is just not doing what it is the father wants him to do. And it's, oh, you remember, you remember how you asked for a car for your 18th birthday? Well, if you do what I say, you just might find yourself holding those keys pretty soon. What is that? Well, it's bribery is what it is. It's manipulation. So we use words to try to control and manipulate people to do what it is that we want them to do. And even if the end that we want is a good thing, education is a good thing, respecting is a positive thing. These are all good things, good desires. But when you have people that are adults, led by the Spirit, you would hope you cannot control, you cannot change them. God must do that. You can lead them, speak truth with grace, but trying to control, threaten, guilt, manipulate does not work. That's God's work. Only he can do that. Verse 30 reminds us what happens to us when we use corrupting talk. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is our seal, our guarantee. God has given you a down payment. You had the Holy Spirit, and the day will come that Christ will return. You will be redeemed. It's going to happen. The Spirit's a guarantee. He's a seal. And so he lives inside of you. You carry God. He is with you all the time. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, don't grieve him. We cause sorrow upon God when we use corrupting talk. It, it doesn't please God. It disappoints. It hurts him. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It affects our relationship with God and with other people. So your words reveal your heart. What do your words reveal? I would ask you to think through that this week. But the solution to having negative speech is the gospel. Meditating, thinking about the gospel, reading and praying, and honestly, daily meditating, thinking intentionally about the gospel. It will change how you speak to people because it's going to change the way your heart is. Not to use words to tear down, but to build up. The gospel has changed your heart and your ability to build others up. Let's go to the last two quickly before it's lunchtime. The second one is struggles with harmony. Struggling with maintaining harmony. Verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. So he gives a list of six sins that will threaten to destroy your relationships. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice to put away these things, this speech, to put away these attitudes that would affect and destroy your relationships. But he begins with bitterness, and that's, there's a reason why. See, bitterness refers to having a resentful spirit. And people that are bitter, people that have a resentful, ungrateful spirit will tend to do the other five. And so when someone is embittered and resentful and ungrateful, they're going to be a, a bitter person will be angry. They get angry very quickly. They will speak poorly of other people. They will enjoy seeing others who, that are suffering. They'll complain all the time. And so these characteristics are evidenced by someone that is embittered. And it causes division and it prevents harmony in your relationships. So key question for this point is how does this division, how does this bitterness, this lack of harmony, how does that affect your relationships? Well, you will give in to the temptation because we're all tempted by this, but you will give in more quickly to view other people as your enemies rather than as your companions in the struggle of their relationship because there is a struggle and you are co-strugglers in the relationship. And you have a companion, whether you're married or not, roommates, co-workers, friends, parents, whatever it is, you have companions that are co-strugglers, and we see them as enemies to overcome rather than as companions that are helping us. And so that person in your life, that's difficult. I want you to picture some. Now, don't point or name them, but I want you to picture someone that for you is a difficult person. That if it were up to you, that person wouldn't be in your life. That person is there for your good. It is good for you to have, yes, that, that person, yes, that person is good in your life. 
because that person will cause you to see your own sin. And that person will cause you to pray more. And you will be able to love like Christ does because Christ loved his enemies. And you have the privilege of doing that. That person is not your rival or your opponent to be bitter or angry at or envious of or whatever. That person is there to help you to be more like Christ, to have more purity. So the solution, again, is meditating on the gospel. Spend time pondering the beauty and the unity of God and how we can also have unity in our relationships to reflect God's glory. Spend time. I'm serious. Pray for that person. If that person really frustrates you, pray for him or pray for her. It will help you. It's very difficult to be angry at a person that you are constantly praying for. It will change everything. So the more you contemplate God's goodness and beauty, the more thankful you will be, the less embittered you'll have in your heart, and you'll have more harmony in your relationships. And so we must fight against this desire to be selfish and to have division. And the last one is struggles with forgiveness. This is important. Last point, forgiveness. All of us have struggles with forgiveness. This is in verse 32. It says, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When I think about how much I've been forgiven, how good God has been to me, when I honestly think about how much I've been forgiven, forgiving other people for what they've done to me just isn't that substantial. When I forget how much I've been forgiven, I'm less prone to forgive those that hurt me. And so when I stand amazed that what God has done for me with Jesus hanging on the cross in my place. I find it hard to stay angry at other people. I talk to couples all the time that are struggling, not just here in the U.S. as well, for years. And when I talk to couples that are struggling, married couples that are having a hard time, they're not reconciled, and sometimes you have a wife or a husband that's been really hurt. I mean, they're wounded. And, and they come because their soul has these gashes and they're bleeding spiritually or emotionally and they're really hurt. And I've noticed that the biggest hindrance for them to forgive and to show grace and for them to really work on and rebuild their relationship is that a lack of forgiveness is usually there, a desire not to forgive. And the reason is that the person that's hurt wants the other person that did the hurting to experience the same pain. And so he'll say, well, she hurt me. I want to hurt her back. And so there's part of us that want to just repay evil for evil because we're sinful. But it's more than that. It's, it's the thinking, if I forgive him or her, then they're not going to understand how much they hurt me. And so we want them to feel our pain. So, so she'll say things like, I want him to feel the pain that I'm feeling. And if he feels the pain that I'm feeling, then maybe he'll come around and then he'll ask for forgiveness. What does a lack of forgiveness do to your relationships? When you don't forgive, it further damages the relationship because you're going to want to pay back for the hurt that you've experienced. Let me ask you this. Did God change your heart 
by punishing you for your sins? Did God change your heart by punishing you for your sins? No, he didn't. Your heart was changed when you sensed his overwhelming gratitude for the kindness that you don't deserve that God shared with you. When your heart was overwhelmed by grace and by God's mercy. Did you choose the family you were born into? Did you choose to be born to a family that told you about Jesus? Did you choose to have whoever it is that told you about Christ, did you choose to have that person tell you about Jesus? No. God was merciful to you. He was good to you. He allowed you to experience the grace that you and I don't deserve. And when we're overwhelmed by that grace, what happens is we respond with repentance. And then our hearts are transformed. And so God changes us with grace and kindness because his son paid the price in our place. We must meditate on the gospel in order to be able to forgive freely. You see, that person that's hurt you does not may- maybe deserve your forgiveness. But you know what? You and I don't deserve God's forgiveness either. We don't deserve it. That's the point of the gospel, is that we don't deserve it. Christ died in our place. So the solution is to meditate on the gospel. Meditate on how good God has been to us so that we can then show grace and forgiveness to others. You're thinking, oh, but if I forgive, then maybe they'll do it again. There's no guarantees. If I forgive this person, what if they don't change? The person that's hurt you may never change. They may never repent. They they may never yield to God. It's quite possible that the person will never change. I can't promise that they will. But you see, forgiveness is still good because you know what forgiveness does for you? It changes your heart. It allows you to reflect the love of Christ, and forgiveness frees you from the slavery of being under those chains of lacking forgiveness. And so we are freed when we forgive, regardless of what the other person does. So as we close this morning, just contemplate these truths of how God has been gracious to us, and we are now called to be gracious to others. Will you submit to God? Will you allow him to change your heart so that way your relationships can be impacted. If you're here this morning and you're not even really sure how this works, what you need to know is that God is good and holy and he made you and loves you, but you have sinned against God and you are accountable for that sin. But Jesus died on the cross in your place and offers you the forgiveness that we've been talking about this morning that you don't deserve, that you can't earn, but he offers it to you freely. If you respond to God, with complete trust and repentance, turning away from that sin. He'll come into you, and he'll change you, and you can experience forgiveness like you've never experienced before. Will you pray with me as we ask God to grip us with these truths and to make us more like his son? Father, I thank you for giving us this time this morning to to worship you, to look at your word, to think about how we speak to one another, for us to think about whether or not we're maintaining harmony in our relationships. 
and to contemplate forgiveness as we are called to forgive as you've forgiven us. I pray for anyone here in this room that currently is struggling with these truths, someone in this room who maybe has never repented and believed in you, that you would grip their hearts, that they would turn to you with all of their heart and be transformed by your gospel, this message of salvation. Make us into a church of purity with healthy relationships. I pray, Father, that you would use us to reveal your glory to Abu Dhabi and to the world. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.